0: Start Me Up Podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network in association with Muller She Wrote Media. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Elgin Charles. I'm just going to read a little bit from his bio. Elgin is known the world over as the emperor of hair. He's been the proprietor of his upscale beauty salon in the heart of Beverly Hills for more than 25 years. The San Antonio, Texas native can be best described as a scholar and a creative genius, due in part to rearing from both his father, a biochemist, and his mother, an award winning blue singer. I'm telling you, this guy has such an interesting story and I can't wait to talk to him. But before we get into it, the Start Me Up podcast is independent, supported by listeners, and it's Woman Run. A great big thank you to everybody who supports the show. If you enjoy today's podcast, visit patreoncom startmeup. Check out all the tiers. I do include a tier with a much shorter intro and no ads. You can hear the free shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and they're followed up by What's Up, a show just for patrons where I talk about anything that comes to mind. It's a little more personal, kind of like my online diary. Visit patreon.com startmeup and don't forget You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Now please enjoy my conversation with Elgin Charles. Welcome to the show, Elgin. Thank you for having me. Well, first of all, I asked you like forever ago. And uh, the reason it's happening now is because when I did ask you... Um, I had all these different doctors' appointments that I had to deal with, and I know you know you you own a salon, so your days off are Sunday and Monday, and I do my shows on Tuesdays, so I had to make an exception for you. And finally, the schedules all came together, so I'm so excited to have you on. Ah,
1: <laughs> uh, okay. I'm so glad to be on Kimberly.
0: Oh, oh. well, you know you're. We met on Twitter, and yeah. this is how I meet a lot of people that are on my show, and I kind of like watch what's going on and. You know, everything about you. I like your tweets. I like your energy. And I looked you up and I'm like, damn, this man has fascinating, fascinating. You are so, literally, you are so unique. So the first thing I want to ask you, your bio describes you as a scholar and a genius because of your rearing, because of your parents. Now, your father was a biochemist and your mother was a singer. Am I correct?
1: Yes, blues singer.
0: Blues singer. Now, just tell me about them and, and just explain... That part of your uh, bio—that you're a scholar and a genius because of your your parents. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, well, my dad—he's a—he's um, a biochemist, very smart scientist, yeah. and uh, very strict. He hmm. came out of the Air Force. Uh, he worked civilian personnel for Brooks Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. Hmm. Uh, brilliant man, uh, a loving man but very strict and very stern. Yeah. And he had to deal with a child like myself coming up. <laughs> that was a little weird because he saw me go through different phases coming up. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I was a very proud child to have a dad like him. Cause he put so much optimism into my life wow. and structure. And my, my focus was to make him happy. Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of three, uh, with my mother. And I do have a, uh, half sister. Uh, um, came, she came 20 years later. Mm-hmm. But my dad, um, my other brother and sister, you know, they did what they did. And (laughs) then I came up after them trying to uh, please my father. And my brother was the uh, junior. So he got more attention than I did. Mm. And my dad used to say, your time is coming. There's going to be a time. (laughs) It's just going to be you and I here and all that other stuff. (laughs) And uh, actually, when the time came for me, I was already grown enough to uh, fly the nest and go (laughs) do my own thing. Yeah. Uh, But, You know, and then uh, my mother, she's a Scorpio, my dad's Aquarius, so, you know, that's (laughs) an element. And my mother's a Scorpio, so that's another element. So that was a dynamic duel right there as far as (laughs) them getting along, because everybody wanted to take the lead. Uh, So my mother was in my ear in another way, because she was a, uh, you know, she was a country girl, and also she was uh, uh, learning the streets. Mm-hmm. uh and everything, even though she married my dad uh, in eleventh grade, she married wow. my dad. Wow. so they they got together and had three kids. and um, it was a little turbulence going on by the time I got five or six, they were kind of like you know going at it and, and and stuff. so it was a little different. And then by the time I got to the first grade, my mother left and my dad bought a house, a, built a house way out in the country, rural San Antonio. It's like Pleasanton. It's like mm-hmm. dirt roads, yellow mm-hmm. buses, your neighbors like, you know, a quarter of a mile away from you because <laughs> we were on 16 acres of land. Wow. And it was well water. It was, it was mm-hmm. rough. Mm-hmm. And it was my sister, my brother and myself. My sister got pregnant in high school. Mm-hmm. So she ended up marrying her husband and moving out. So it's just my brother and myself. And uh, we had to survive because dad was working all the time and he worked in the city, which was like an hour and a half away uh, from where we stayed. Uh, so thank God for the school because the extracurricular activities mm-hmm. in the school is what kept me busy.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, I was a very you know, popular child coming up. You know, I won every award there was. Wow. I was oncoming Prince, Valentine King, Mr. <laughs> Drama, Mr. <laughs> Personality, all those things. But I was just like the only black man in the, in our classes. Wow. Because um, it was mainly Hispanic and uh, Caucasian.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so um, it was a unique upbringing, but yeah. it was a very positive uh, atmosphere for me to grow up in. Mm-hmm. And I was able to just really stay focused on school.
0: Right.
1: Uh, on the weekends, I went to the city with my cousins, and that's where my mother was most of the time before she moved to Arizona. And that was kind of in the what we call the projects. Mm-hmm. It's called Sudden Homes, hmm. and in, uh, it was a you know wonderful environment. But it was it was project, and uh, right. a lot of basketball playing, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, walking around and stuff. And just I never really got into anything because they thought I was a special child. Leave him alone. He's a straight A student and stuff like that. So they didn't bother me. And plus, my big brother and sis- sister and my uh, cousins that were older always protected me. Right. Um, Yeah, so I never had any problem. But uh, my mom was always in my ear telling me I was a special child, that she was breached. I was breached when she had me, but she pushed and everything. And and I came out and flipped the diaphragm and she never was able to have another child again. You know, put that kind of guilt trip on me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I like, well, mom, it ain't my fault. <laughs> and, and so I have to say that, you know what, I didn't want to come into this world. So when I came in, I came in and wanted the whole world to kiss my ass. <laughs> Because <laughs> I came in ass first. you know. But, you know, that's just my little joke I have. But my parents are very strong and strength, and they love me so much. There's yeah. um, um, not much more I can say except for that they uh, expected a lot from me, at least I, I thought they did. Right. And I tried to be a high achiever because of that.
0: Wow. Well, I know, you know, I, I again, I was listening to some um, interviews with you and I heard somebody, you were talking to somebody and saying that your parents were conservative and that at a young age you discovered a passion for doing hair and that did affect the relationship with your parents. So could you tell us about that?
1: Well, it wasn't with my parents, just with my dad. Okay. My mom was uh, a very creative uh, person. She was, uh, like I said, a singer. She liked to sew. She liked to paint. She liked to do a whole lot of... Different things to just keep her mind uh, occupied. Mm-hmm. So she didn't mind, and she saw that I loved hair, and she's the one that encouraged me later on in life to do hair. Said, so, "You know, you're good okay. looking. You do great hair. You'll be very successful." That's true. Doing, <laughs> right. So I was like, I took heed to that at 24 when I finally decided to go to beauty school. But coming up, uh, I had this thick, thick, coarse, uh, kinky hair. You know, we mm-hmm. we used to call it nappy hair Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was uh, when I got to puberty it was so doggone thick I couldn't hardly comb it because it was so tight so I used to uh, braid it up I learned how to braid my hair up so I can do this big afro curly afro so I had my cousins knew how to braid. I was already playing with dolls' hair as a child, which mm-hmm. was another thing my dad looked at, like, why is he over there playing with them dolls? <laughs> Get him over there and let him play some basketball, some football. Put him over there with the boys. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, I would go over there and play sports and all that because <laughs> I was very good at sports coming up in high school. I was all turning basketball, you know, most valuable mm-hmm. player. But uh, uh, coming up, I was playing with the dolls and. I didn't see nothing wrong with it until yeah. they jacked my shirt, and jacked me up <laughs> by the collar and said, what the, what's wrong with you, boy? <laughs> so, uh, so I knew my dad didn't like longer, long hair. Um, <laughs> but uh, Afro's were in style, the natural's was this. Mm-hmm. I learned how, learned how to braid. So at night, I would braid my hair up every night and get up early in the morning and take it down so my dad wouldn't see me because huh. I knew he would be angry. Right. Then one day he came and, and, and opened up the door to wake me up while I was there taking down the braids and I was like, oh God, I got caught. And he just kind of looked at me and then he turned his head. Huh. And then later on, no, no son of mine is going <laughs> to And uh, I'm not going to tolerate that and you need to stop all that. So what I did to fix the problem was that I set my brother down and braided his hair. So when my brother came in there with braids, my Dad looked at both of us and he's like, "Oh well, I guess it's it's a trend," (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So uh, he
1: got used to that, but he wasn't very proud of me playing around with hair because he, you know, he just thought that was not uh, a masculine kind of thing to do. Right. But as I uh, got older and I went into general office and I was working and I was doing that type of work uh, trying to find my career, uh, I decided to go the hair and I, I told him about it and he got past all the hangups that he had and he had opened his mind and realized he had to embrace a child and not try to hinder a child from being themselves. Right. And uh, so he got over it and I became yeah. the most famous hairstylist that you could be. And it was a beautiful thing.
0: Oh, I definitely want to ask you about your salon But before I get into it, I just have to tell you It's so funny Um, I was living in Los Angeles My mom, I'm originally from Maryland Which is where I live now But when I was uh, nine years old My mom moved us out to California To Los Angeles And I think it was, that was like 1977 I think it was around 1978 or 1979 She came home from the hair salon And this guy fucked her hair up It was bad, it was really bad but she could not stop talking about him. And I just knew. I was like, I, you know, I mean, you're, you're, when you have divorced parents, uh, you kind of pick up on the cues when one of your parents likes someone. And it's like she would not stop talking about this hairdresser. And eventually, uh, you know, her, <laughs> her hair was fixed. But, um, and then she wound up in a relationship with him. And so that's why I said to you, you know, yeah, definitely it's, it's a successful combination of a good-looking guy who knows how to do hair because you can uh, be very successful. And then on top of it, I'm sure it's easy to meet people that you're interested in. But um, I want to know, I know your salon is really successful. You're in Beverly Hills. And I know you have, uh, you know, huge and famous client lists. So I just want to hear a little bit about that. And I want to know... Um, a little bit, too, just about can can you also explain what it was about the hair that fascinated you? Like, what drew you in?
1: Well, that's a good question, because I really couldn't tell you, except for that, all my life, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I had this wonderful uh, fascination when it came to hair. Mm -hmm. My mother and her sisters all had beautiful, long, gorgeous hair, wavy, you know, just gorgeous hair and each one of them had different textures. Mm-hmm. They were not the same. And I used to play with their hair. My mom's hair, I used to just comb on it and brush on it and she just loved for me to mm-hmm. put my fingers through her hair. And uh, uh, and th- a, a, a funny story that I always remember to this day, even now, is that uh, my Aunt Joyce, she had the prettiest wavy hair, just silky black, just shiny. And I was kinda of just combing through it with a comb, not a brush. Mm-hmm. And you know how you take the hair and you wrap it around the comb like you're gonna put a, you know, a, like in a, a roller yes, kind of thing. Yes. And I didn't know what I was doing because <laughs> then when I went to unroll it, the hair got all tangled oh, no. and the hair got all tangled up in the comb and I couldn't get it out. Oh no. And mm-hmm. I was so paranoid, I said, Oh my God, because I thought hair was the most precious thing there was you know yeah. oh my god and i didn't know what to do and i didn't know how to tell her and i was like oh what am i gonna do and finally i said hey joyce and she like what i said i can't get the comb out of your hair and she like what so she was trying to take it out and all that and she said oh you got it kind of tangled huh i like yeah and she didn't even panic she just went over there and got the scissors and cut it out whoa and then put her hair in the ponytail and went on about her business and i was like <laughs> <"Ew."> <laughs> I was so devastated. <laughs> and the reason why wow. I say I remember that to this day, because every time I'm doing hair now, and yeah. I got a comb in my hand or a round brush, and it looks like the hair is getting ready to get tangled and stuff. I immediately undo <laughs> it because i be fearful. i was like, oh my God, I want to take the hair. And then I think about Aunt Joyce. I That's tell so you, funny. it happened just last week. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It was, yeah, it was fascinating to, um, the, the things you go through as a child, right. uh, uh, things that you love so much and you and they're so precious to you that that's what hair was to me hmm. so it was always been something that I was always into mm-hmm. uh and then I had a aunt a great aunt named honey and honey would uh while all the kids were out playing basketball playing Catch me, uh, you know, doctors or whatever. I was in there pressing on her hair with a hot comb and grease and just frying her hair and just styling it because she needed to get her hair done and she wanted me to do it. She would let me practice. And then sometimes I would burn her scalp and she's like, okay, baby, now that's a little too hot right there. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, honey. But I just loved hair. Yeah. And then as I got like 13 or 14, the Jerry curl came out. So I learned how to do the jerry curl, and then next thing I know I'm doing all the people's hair in the community uh, uh, wanted me to do their hair, and they would give me $10, $15 to do it. You know, it's just chump change, but at the time, when you're a teenager, that's money. Yeah, yeah. You know, especially back in the uh, 70s. Yes. I mean, you know, I was making a living, (laughs) and um, so I always had a side job. I called it my hobby, Mm -hmm. doing hair. But I didn't respect hair, I didn't respect the industry because what I saw in San Antonio was small uh, beauty shops and then you have the trail rollers and then mm-hmm. you have the TV and on the TV you had soap operas. Mm-hmm. So they sitting there watching soap operas all day and all that, I'm like, I'm too smart, I didn't, I'm too achieved, there's no way I'm gonna be a hairdresser, I'm gonna go out and be a businessman, or I'm gonna be a star, I'm a <laughs> act, I'm a model, you know, I'm gonna do all these things. And uh, I went out trying to do all those things. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at Smith morning, when I uh, finally hit the glass ceiling of corporate America, because mm-hmm. I was a black man in a, uh, I say, in an all white world, mm-hmm. uh, they wouldn't hire me for the next promotion. Oh, right. And, yeah. and, and it really upset me because they brought in a college kid from another trader's uh, uh, child. He's the son of a another trader and they wanted to bring him over and train him to be on the trading desk and learn how to, you know, trade and buy municipal bonds, which is what I wanted to do. Cause that was like, you know, you get into that, that's big money and yeah. you can really learn a good trade. And so they wanted me to teach him all the stuff that I was wow. doing and stuff. And it really affected me yeah. and it, it bothered me. And I, I got real depressed because I was like, that's the first time I ever uh, dealt with this type of uh, uh, no Mm-hmm. for no reason. Mm-hmm. No, you can't do this. No, you have to stay in this position. No. You, you're not qualified to come over here. And I'm like, why? I'm just as smart as this guy. I mean, why won't you promote me? And it became a problem, so I ended up uh, leaving. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, and I uh, took a year off, and I did uh, uh, get disability. I went out on stress and strain. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh my god, I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta help me. I don't know what to do. So, uh, uh, when I uh, I went to see a psycho a psychiatrist and I told him I was just upset I'm emotional about it because I don't understand it he wrote me this paper that I can give to them and then I went out and I had a long term disability insurance hmm. and that's how I was able to go to beauty school full time and not have to worry about income because they paid me nine hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. and that during that time that was enough to pay my rent and have gas money and stuff like that uh, so I went to beauty school and then. I graduated and I went to work in Beverly Hills for, um, blaze. He was a guest artist for Redkin. red mm-hmm. And, uh, so as I worked for him, he paid $135 a week. I tell you, I was, mm-hmm. I didn't care. Cause I was about the hair. I wasn't about the money. Cause mm-hmm. I had that income coming in. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the income is that, uh, uh, what they did was I would turn in the money that I would make. And then they would deduct it from the, um, uh, Nine hundred. Oh right, yeah. only half of it. Mm-hmm. Only half of it. So by the time I was, uh, they was getting nine hundred dollars from me. I was really making eighteen hundred. Right. So it was an easy transition to get off disability and then just go ahead and just mm-hmm. continue to do hair, and that's how I was able to fund my career to do hair full time. And I tell you, when I went to beauty school, it was the happiest day of my life. Really? I mean, the theory behind hair is so complex the, you know, the bonds, the mm-hmm. uh, different things of breaking down the hair from the cortex to the cuticle, to the medulla, mm-hmm. going on down to the muscle tissue, skeletal tissues, all this. Stuff. It's just so much knowledge. Mm-hmm. And all the things that I was, you know, as a uh, a layman doing hair or a hobby, I had all these questions about the hair. And when I went to beauty school, I was getting the answers. Right. Yeah. So I, I was loving it. And uh, I told him when I went there, I said, I'll come and I'll do everything you, you say. I will not goof off. I will work my butt <laughs> off. But you have to assure that when I graduate, you will put me in a Beverly Hills salon because that's the only place I'm gonna be able to work and be happy and feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do to fulfill my dreams because I wanted to be like Vidal Yes, That was my mentor. And so my career was really like a roadmap. It went so smoothly. And um, I was destined to be this hairdresser because it was a part of me all my life.
0: Well, I mean, and I know, you know, on your site, you've got all these clients, you've got all these famous clients. Um, And so now you're still doing hair today, right?
1: I'm still loving it just as much as I did when I first started. That's the craziest thing.
0: Wow. That is so interesting. And then, okay, now from my understanding and from some of the, what I've read about you and some of the interviews that I've seen, um, you also taught, you wrote a book I think it came out in 2018, you talk about the fact that you are bisexual, um, and then you mm-hmm. also talked about the fact that you married actress Jacquet, and the two of you adopted a son, you're no longer married, but I know you're friends. So I kind of want to go over that. Um, what, what was the, the, I don't know, the, the thing that got you to talk about your sexuality? Why did you choose to talk about your sexuality?
1: Well, my dad passed. And when my dad passed, I always said that once he Past, I will be more open about who I am, right? Uh, and, yeah. Because you are who you are, Blanche. Regardless, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can hide it all you want to, but what's there is there. Yeah. And I, I, I discovered that I had those tendencies. I didn't act on it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, you still being like a voyeur if nothing else, mm-hmm. because the interest was there. And then you're reading books, and you find them books and all kinds of stuff as a young child that uh uh fed that. That, that enticement that was coming from you but yet you didn't want anybody to know because mm-hmm. you know it was taboo mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and also spiritual my spirituality being a christian also uh in the church especially the black church they you know talked about the uh uh condemnation of that type of behavior mm-hmm. you know it's an abomination and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff um so I was really uh, uh afraid to even talk about it and then when I became twenty one, I moved to California. And when I came to California, that's when I decided to do the deed right. and go out there and, and, and experience it uh uh physically, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um and of course uh I did that and that was just, you know, something that I did. So I didn't tell anyone, I was like on the down low. Mm-hmm. But yet I still had girlfriends at the same time because the girls just wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> <grow> <laughs> And, and, and they came a dime a dozen, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, uh, and and, and, and I, I love women, you know, the same as I would love a man, because right. I'm a type of a uh, uh, guy that's very monogamous. Right, I, I'm not uh, uh, the kind that can go from one to another. My yeah. relationships always last five to seven years. It's yeah. like wow. <laughs> so, um, um, so when my dad passed uh, at 84, I think I was 50. By then, well, 2019, 2018, so Mm -hmm. around that time, I started to uh, work on my book. And Mm -hmm. then I said that I didn't want to be this person where I had hidden secrets and that people could um, blackmail me or threaten to expose me and all that stuff. I didn't want anything like that. So I said, let me write my truth. Mm-hmm. And then, what is my truth? And my truth was that I was a—I consider myself bisexual because of the experiences I've had sexually. Mm-hmm. I've been with both uh, me, uh, women, of mm-hmm. course, and men. Uh, not a lot, but you know, especially during the '80s. Thank God, because you know, AIDS came right, around and yeah. took out so many people. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole salon I was working at—everybody in the whole salon died—and oh and I was—I mean. I was so worried, so scared, I ended up going to church, learning who I was in Christ, spirit, soul, and body, and then next thing I know, I had uh, joined the ministry, and I wanted to learn everything I can about God, so I went to ministry school at Crenshaw Christian Center, and uh, I guess I I could say that I was scared straight, (laughs) (laughs) and so I was there, and then when you're in ministry school, you know, everything is so um, righteous Mm -hmm. that I had to uh, become celibate. I had to give up sex and try Hmm. to give up all that stuff. It was very difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember times in the shower where I was so, like, horny, if you would, (laughs) that I couldn't even wash my uh, private area without, you know. (laughs) Right. And next thing I know, (laughs) in the shower. And, I like, and then I felt so guilty behind it Because uh, I was trying to figure out who I was Right. And like I said, my uh, religious beliefs Was um, telling me that I was a bad person mm-hmm. Because I had these tendencies So as I went to ministry school And I learned and learned and learned And found out about, you know uh, Who I was in Christ And about love conquers all For which there's no law You know, mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, love, suffering Goodness, meekness, and temperance uh, for which there is no law, that's Galatians, uh, meaning that if you operate in love, you can love someone. It's mm-hmm. all about promiscuity and and, and lasciviousness and uh, decadence and all that stuff. But if you find a person that you love and you committed, then you operate in love and it may not be guys. Uh, uh, perfect will, but it's his acceptable will, meaning Mm. that he rather you do it like that, find your peace. And in Christ, you're forgiven because there's no condemnation in Christ. And he fulfilled the law so that you don't have to fulfill it. And you can find your place in society and live a peaceful life. Now, everybody may not uh, agree with it. And there will be persecution that comes with it because Jesus was persecuted for his ways. Uh, but, uh, it's something that you choose and how you work it out, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and find peace above all things, find peace and operate in love because love conquers all. So these are the things that I learned. And, uh, uh, so when I was in ministry school, uh, uh, I did meet a girl, uh, and, uh, she took my celibacy away and it was, uh, <laughs> something else. Uh, <laughs> she was a beautiful model and I had to hire her for a relaxer cover I was doing when I was working for last product. And uh, she just wanted some of me and being that I hadn't <laughs> had sex or anything in a long time, she was able to uh, do that and I felt so guilty. I felt like, oh God, I had to cover myself when Aww. it was over. But then I got past that pretty fast. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so then I, 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 we broke up and I wasn't doing anything. I was still in the ministry. So I'm uh, uh, still going to school and then I just stopped. And then, um, I was believing God for a mate. I believe in God for a wife. That's what they teach you in ministry school. Uh, It says um, you should leave your parents and, you know, get you a wife and y'all become one flesh. And, you know, you obtain more favor from God uh, when you find your mate, when two of you guys come together. So I I was believing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of rambling, but I'm just telling you where my mind was. Right. And uh, so I had girls flying in from London. They were coming in from (laughs) Chicago. I had all of them trying to marry me because they know I was looking for a wife and I was like (laughs) you know. And then um, I think Jack A came in to get her hair done at the salon from Adby, Red Wine. That's who was doing her hair. Mm -hmm. And she needed a dryer so she came and I said oh you can use this dryer. And her dryer was in my area right behind me. And then she was looking at me and then when she got done, she kind of touched my chest and said, you know, I'm just so proud of you having a salon in Beverly Hills. And and I was like, oh, well, thank you. And then she left. Huh. Well, irony of it all, we ended up meeting at a Halloween party that Joe Marie from the Facts of Life, no, not the Facts of Life. Uh, Joe Marie and uh, uh, is one of those shows with uh, uh, Urkel, Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was uh, the mother on that. Okay. That show with Urkel. And she was having a Hollywood party. So I went, and I had another girl coming in from Chicago, one coming in from London that happened <laughs> to want to know what I was doing. And then I was there, and here comes Jack A walking through the door. <laughs> and she was dressed like Marilyn Monroe. Oh, wow. She had, weed, she had makeup done, she had that <laughs> white dress on, you know, the one that, like, when yes. the wind blows yes. and all that, you know, her yes. dress went up. And I, I was like, in awe. I was like, oh, that <laughs> is. And then she saw me and she'd be lying right on over there to me <laughs> in front of all these women. And she said, hi, and put her <laughs> hand on my chest. And i like, hello. And she said, can I speak to you for a minute outside? i like, oh, uh, yeah. So I excuse myself, but outside. And we were just kind of talking and stuff. And she was saying she was interested in me. She was hitting on me, mm-hmm. you know, and i was like hmm and i looked at it and stuff and you know coming out of the ministry i'm like well is this woman too <laughs> sir, too you know worldly for me uh uh right. you know she's a celebrity can i handle this this kind of stuff so yeah. i i told her yeah i would love to go out with you i said but right now you know i got some things that i'm doing it might be a while before i call you mm-hmm. and she said well here's my number and i took a number mm-hmm. so I waited two weeks before I called her because I was praying on her because I saw her over there at the bar having a drink, smoking a cigarette and all that stuff. And here I am, this clean-up minister uh, in the makings and all that stuff. And then one day I called her. And uh, she said, yeah, she would love to go out. So we went out on a date. And that date turned into another date and another time. And next thing I know, two weeks had gone by. And we were still hanging tight. And then I wanted to, um, I had to go to London for a hair show that I was doing. And she said, "I want to go." I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "You want to go?" She said, "Yeah." She said, "Let's go to Paris first, and then we'll go to London and with your show." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, okay, sounds good." So we bought tickets, and we went to Paris, and and uh, you know, in Paris, she was like, "I think we should get married." I like, oh, "Really?" <laughs> I like, oh, "Okay, yeah." You know, I'm believing God for this man. Of course, you know, in Paris, that's when you know we. I guess consummated the relationship mm-hmm. and everything. And it went well, it was a nice little thing. We had attraction for each other that was beyond. And we had a mutual understanding cause um, you know, we're similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up going to London and then London is where um, I had this, I was doing the show and all of a sudden something came over me so bad that I had to sit down on this crate in the back of the stage and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And if someone came to me, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm all right. And then uh, I got up and uh, went on to work. And uh, I'll never forget that moment because that was the moment that my mom got murdered oh. in San Antonio. Oh my God. She got carjacked and murdered oh. at that same time. Now, London's ahead. So I was in the morning. That was the nighttime for them the day b- before. So when I came back from this wonderful, beautiful, getting engaged in Paris, doing London, I came back to a mother that was. Oh my God. Uh, but I didn't know she was murdered at the time because we couldn't find her. They was looking for her and stuff, and they couldn't find her. And then they, someone found this body on the side of the railroad tracks, and they uh, identified her as a Hispanic woman as opposed to a black woman. Right. So we didn't know, and then my sister found out, and then she called me, and when she said, I got something to tell you, I said, don't tell me, I don't have no more mama oh. like that. I got real country. <laughs> and she's like, no, mama's gone. I am like, ah. Oh. Oh, that was so the worst story in my that's life horrible uh so I tell you you have to take the bitter with the sweet I know. you know what I mean
0: I know I know but that's really freaking hard and I'm really sorry that you've ever had to go through that that's awful
1: yeah that's why I tell people that you know I, uh, my my life my career seemed like a, a roadmap but dealing with life and the uh, uh you know, just the trials and tribulations of life. I had to do a lot of learning and a lot of understanding and a lot of why. Thank God I had my faith. Wow. And then Jack K was there at the perfect time yeah. to be that person to console me through all this. Wow. And then six months later, we got married at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And it was wow. a fabulous wedding. About 600 people. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was <laughs> oh, stars set and cameras flowing. And oh, we had a beautiful, beautiful time it was, it was like a lot of
0: fun. nobody else i've never i mean you have again such a unique story what a fascinating life you know i've i feel like i've had um uh, similarly i have a unique story i won't get into all of my but i feel like i was fortunate because you know i i grew up on the east coast up until basically 9 years old and then i moved to southern california and as you know southern california is uh nothing like it and the proximity to fame as well as just the good life and you know the beauty and all of that uh it was I never obviously was a famous person but I used to like I used to hang out at one his name is Lee Lockney he was the trumpet player for the band Chicago because a friend of mine knew Lee and so we would and and I was always at my friend's house and we were always at their house so you know i mean i had all these i got to record a song for the smithsonian institute because because i knew my mother's friend knew nichelle nichols from star trek and you know uh-huh. it's like all these weird interesting stories and it's like being in los angeles i know um you know definitely it's so it's can't help. you
1: can't escape it it's all yeah, around you it's you're, all gonna some it, yeah. you're gonna be in the mix you know yeah, what i mean some exactly. kind of way
0: yeah, some way. It's, it's And it's kind of fun and it's exciting. And it's not to say that, oh, celebrities are so important, but it's just, you know, we all love celebrities. We love movies. We love TV. And then they're everywhere. And it and it offers up this very unique experience. And so it's just really fun listening to you talk about that. Um, but I do want to pivot now because I'm so interested. I want to talk to you about a couple of different things, mainly politics. But before we get into the political questions, um, as I said, you know, I mean, I lived in Southern California from 77 up until 2009. Then I moved to Northern California. And now I'm in Maryland. So um, I have been hearing from my friends and we've talked about it a little bit on this show, but some of my friends that are still in L.A. that there's a real problem with t- like tent cities and stuff cropping up. So I just wanted to get your take on that. And, um, you know, I don't know exactly where you live, but how much of that do you see in your daily life?
1: Every day. It's, it's ridiculous. It's really, really is ridiculous. And, uh, um, I have compassion, Mm -hmm. but I also can't stand it. Of course. I think it just, it just takes the neighborhood and trashes up to the lowest degree of, uh, 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 that you could imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, you have compassion for the people, but at the same time, it's really um, messing up the uh, beauty of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You know, Los Angeles is a beautiful place, you know even the projects are manicured and garden mm-hmm. you know got gardeners and stuff mm-hmm. and then when you go around the corner and you see all these tents and the trash all outside mm-hmm. and then the people are living there like it's their home so you might see a girl standing outside looking in a mirror in a nightgown and like um, you know like she's at a house or something like yeah. that at a home and she is at a home right uh, and then and then uh, it brings a Certain type of people that are usually on drugs, or they schizophrenic, freniac, frenia. Uh, how you say that? Yes. Schizophrenia, well, schizophrenia. That's it. Well, schi- about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, they got uh, these drug problems, and right. they're dangerous, and uh, uh, and they may yell at you. They may throw crap at you. There, you go around the corner. The whole block is nothing but a whole tent city, mm. and they got. It hooked up with electricity, and it's just a whole world within itself. Yeah. And, uh, 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 and I, I'm i like, how could this happen? Mm-hmm. California is a rich state. They got so much surplus, and they can't seem to find a way to handle this uh, homeless problem. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think Eric Garcetti said, don't touch them, leave them alone. Uh, will let the authorities make a move or anything like that he was had some type of compassion for him and I think the law is the law there's no lottery I mean even at my salon I can come to the salon sometime and there's a bomb sitting there on the ground uh and 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 I'm looking at him like uh aren't you gonna move kind of thing even they get up and move but you still have to walk past them and mm-hmm. and, and then you you know you have to get your guards up because you don't know mm-hmm. uh uh, it's just a, a a horrible problem. You go around any any kind of uh, um, entrance way to the freeway, and there's oh, a whole yeah. group of people uh, living in the tents. Wow. So it, it's a downer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's funky. It smells bad. Mm-hmm. You can smell the a uh, uh, level of uh, of uh, I don't know how to say it, but lifestyle right. in which they're living. Right. I get it. And uh, uh, and when and I'm like, what can we do about it? So now we're getting ready to vote for a new mayor, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Caruso and Kim Bass are the ones that are in the forefront. And uh, uh, I'm looking for the right candidate that can solve this homeless problem. And uh, uh, but it's very difficult because the homeless do not want any help. Hmm. They don't want to be conformed to someone telling them what they can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why they're on the street. So it's a very difficult situation. Uh, But I think they should enforce the law. And the law says that they cannot Mm lauder around people, around stores and all that. So they can come and make them move. And they did do it here in Beverly Hills because right over here off the Burden Way, it was like they was just all almost up to Doheny where the Four Seasons
0: That's I can't even picture that. You know, it's funny, because my friend was telling me about that. And he was, you know, he was talking to me, and he was talking about Caruso. And he's like, look, and he's a liberal. And he says, look, Caruso is addressing it. And, um, and I said, but how are they going to address it? Is it just going to be about criminalizing homelessness? Because if we just criminalize homelessness, that's not the answer either. It might take people off the streets. Um, or not no let me let me let me get that back it won 't take people off the streets it 'll just take people off the streets where there are businesses and homes and and so, I was trying to you know I was grappling myself. With thinking about this, and it's like, okay, on one hand, you want to be compassionate. Obviously, these people are probably homeless because the cost of living is way too high. Rents are extremely high, and you know the uh, minimum wage isn't very high. And sometimes people have to work three and four. I mean, I know this woman. She works at the grocery store where I shop, and five days a week she's working at at a courthouse. And then on her two days that are supposed to be off, she's working at a grocery store, and. I, you know, I mean, obviously she's making well, there's
1: programs for people like her. Yeah. Cause she's, he can be helped. A lot of them can't be helped, but right. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, like I, I came to LA in 81 mm-hmm. and the problem I saw that happened that caused this problem is that they went down to Skid Row downtown and then they disrupted that whole community. And that's when they scattered out throughout the city oh, see what i'm saying yeah. they used to be all skid row all around there the missions was there it was yeah. pretty much confined to that area uh you know once you got the 7th and los angeles and you went further yes. east that's going to be skid row yeah. and yes it was scary as hell to you know go through and see what was going on mm-hmm. but at least they had them all in one area where they could help those mm-hmm. that they could help mm-hmm. but when they uh went in and they uh, started tearing them down and making them leave because, you know, downtown is starting to grow and they got yeah. the uh, sofa, was now Crypto uh, <laughs> uh, uh, <Yeah. laughs> Stadium and all that stuff going on. And they was building, they just kind of came in and just dispersed them and they went all around the city. Mm-hmm. So I think that if we can find Housing for them, programs for them. Of course, mm-hmm. try to help those who want to help themselves, mm-hmm. and then those that want to be on the street and don't want any help. If you keep them confined to a, a certain area, mm-hmm. it may be uh, uh, easier for us to deal with, and everybody can be happy because it's not fair for you to have a million-dollar condo and you're looking out your door or your window in the high-rise and you're looking down at all this poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it it's just uh, uh, to me it's like doesn't make sense wow. but it's the reality of what we're living in yeah so i don't know i don't want to corral people into a certain area because of uh, uh, who they are and what right. they you know their uh achievements in life but it worked back then mm-hmm.
0: yeah and you know but- i mean it does it does it's like when you want to it's one thing to listen to this and feel like you have a bleeding heart and go you have to help everybody and we do have to figure out ways to help each other um but on the other hand it's like you're saying and, and my friend was talking about he's like look you know there was this guy outside of his house and i guess he was half naked he had i guess he was mentally ill but he had a knife with him and he was screaming and and my you know i mean there weren't necessarily homeless people all around but it was just my friend said you know here i'm at home and i'm hearing this screaming and i don't feel necessarily even safe in my own home because i don't know what's going on and so when you take into account you know, no matter where you live, whether it's Beverly Hills, whether it's Bel Air, whether it's Glendale, um, and you're just in a, an apartment, you want to feel safe where you live. And when when you have an explosion of homeless people, um, th- all of a sudden there's an element of danger for you know for various reasons. And I can understand why, as just a resident or a business owner or whatever. You know, you don't. This is making your life uncomfortable, and and at the same time, you can recognize that the people who are doing the thing that's making you uncomfortable are are also uncomfortable. And so, yeah, we. Mm -hmm. I think part of it is you know what you're talking about, but also we need to up the minimum wage. We need to make this country more affordable for the people that live in it, because we can't just have this like you know wealthy people and poor people. Nobody wants that. We'd love, love right. to have like a strong middle class, and then you got your rich people, and then you know there's always going to be
1: that those. There's kinds no of, middle class anymore. No, you there's know, no you middle class. To, live, to be protected, and the middle right. class is out there trying to do whatever yeah. they can to maintain. Yeah. Uh, and also, you yeah, I understand the drug problem. A lot yeah. of these uh, homeless people don't want any help. Right. They'll cuss you out. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they and they get a check, and they yeah. found a way to live on the streets where it's comfortable for them. You know, it's like people that want to live in the you know, camp out in the woods. That's mm-hmm. what they like to do. And mm-hmm. they ain't trying to go back to uh a civilization and live that life. Mm-hmm. So you have to deal with the will of the people as well. So yeah. it's a very complex it situation. Is
0: very complex, yeah. But uh like I
1: said, the law is there for a reason. Yeah. So enforce the law and then uh and, and try to help them as much as you can by putting them in an the area or in a uh a uh, place where they can live, mm-hmm. even though they may not stay mm-hmm. and move, but if you can keep them, I'm just. I just feel like um, when they were all on Skid Road, it was a better, uh, a better lifestyle for everybody in Los Angeles because they went all over the place. Yeah. And then you had uh, all these volunteer people from the uh, uh, churches and stuff mm-hmm. that would go in there and uh, and try to help those. And 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 it was just more confined. It just wasn't okay. all over right. the city. Wow. So you didn't have to see it. Yeah. Uh, I may. I might get judged on this kind of uh, thought. Uh, you know, but I just feel that, you know, give them their community. Mm-hmm. If that's well, what you know they what? Want. It's
0: funny because when my friend was talking and he was mentioning Caruso, you know, my, my first feeling was, but what is Caruso going to do? How is he going to handle it as opposed to, you know, what the liberal would do? And and then I had to think about what if it were me? What if I were living there? What if I had a business? How would I feel? Um, if if I, you know, because my friend was telling me that it's legal to go in front of a business right now at a certain time, like 6 o'clock or something like that, that you could set up shop for yourself and that you're allowed to be outside until the following morning, but then what he was explaining to me is that they when they leave they leave behind their big mess and that it's hurting businesses and so i feel like well if i had a business that would be upsetting to me and you d- it's not about wanting other people to suffer it's not about that it, you know it's understanding that there are other people out there who are having a really hard time and and this is what they're coming up with and it's not benefiting the rest of you know the rest of the city and so it is. It's like you're saying it's very complex and I can imagine how it would feel. I mean, if you, it doesn't, you don't have to be living in Beverly Hills to feel like, you know, I mean, you could literally just be living in a nice apartment in in, you know, uh, North Hollywood and mm-hmm. you don't want to go outside and see a tent city can't where
1: go your dog, can't exactly. jog. you don't know yeah. what's going to happen and stuff like that. I yeah. say, clean up the streets. Yeah. That's not, you I know, mean, clean it up. You know, we have rights as well as they have rights right. and, uh, uh, and no one can just, you know, set up camp anywhere they want to, yeah. you know, it's not part of society. That's why we have laws. Right. So enforce the law, you know, and that way, you know, you rented the Caesar, but it's due Caesar. And if Caesar says you can't be on the streets like that, then you have to move. Now, if you get to an area where it's okay to camp out and stuff, fine. But, you know, Skid Row was, uh, uh, was an eyesore, and everybody talked about how could they be living like that and doing all that stuff. So that's the reason why, they you know, I don't know. When COVID came around, Eric Garcetti said, don't bother them. Let wow. them be. Hmm. And uh, there's a place over here off of San Vicente near La Cienega right now. Mm-hmm. They just they moved in right there, and they're wow. just taking over that whole area island between the two streets it's a mess wow. and you can smell the uh, 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 the stank <laughs> from across <laughs> the street and uh, uh and nobody should have to be subjected to that but yeah. it's part of what's going on right now and uh, we're going to need some strong leaders yeah. to come in and and make these uh, uh, difficult decisions mm-hmm. to clean up la because la, Allowing this kind of stuff here is the bottom of the uh, 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 the pit. But then when you go up the pit, now you're dealing with uh, uh, people who are robbers, mm-hmm. thieves. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they, you know, a good friend of mine, um, I hate to bring it up, but she was in a house in Truesdale and they came up there, some guy on meth, broke out the window, came in and got scared because she saw them in her house and they shot her four times and killed her, you know, at 80 years old. And she's a dear friend of mine. And the reason why is because they're just, the law is not being enforced. And then they got the law that was on the uh, uh, ballot where, it's not fair for someone to have money to to post bail and then someone that doesn't have money can't post bail, Mm -hmm. but the one that does get out and that's Mm -hmm. not fair. So let's just have it where everybody can get out on bail as they're right on their own recognizance, mm-hmm. And uh, 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 and then they got all these people going into jail, doing things, and getting right back out on the streets. Wow. So, uh, and then they got the security guards can't do nothing to them when they come in and rob or anything because they would be prosecuted for uh, trying to help. So these thieves now, you know, they're thinking about, oh, we can do whatever we want to. And if I steal or do something and it's not over so-and-so amount of money, then I can go in and come right back out on the streets and continue to do the thing. So the crime in L.A. has just completely skyrocketed yeah. Yeah. to where everybody's uh, worried, and now everybody's going to buy guns. They're getting guns. And wow. you know, when you have a gun on you all the time, sometimes you already afraid to the gun anyway, you're right. not really trained, and then you end up accidentally shooting somebody, or your child get it and right. shoot themselves. It's, yeah. just, it's just a continued spiral yeah. that is just, it's like hell, living in yes. hell, it's, it's crazy
0: wow oh my god and it's such a hard problem and I just want to say to everybody out there who's not in the situation you know and and I'm not in it right now and and like I said you know when my friend was explaining to me and what you're saying to me I, I mean it, it, it's very easy to judge when you're not in it so I just want to caution people you know this this is complex and this is and I don't necessarily have the answers I don't live there um So I don't have this upfront, you know, I mean, I don't have the perspective you have or the perspective my friend has, but, you know, there has to be some kind of a solution and, and, and and, And I
1: do have compassion. I said, if those that want help and willing to help themselves, then help them, you know, I have a, a, a cousin, um, who uh, is an alcoholic. He chose to be an alcoholic yeah. early in the game. I used to see him go to the liquor store and sit out there with the drunks. So he used to come back and tell me, you know what, I talked to some of them drunks on the corner and you know they got some interesting stories. Now me, he, I would never allow myself to sit nowhere near drunk on the side of the liquor store and talk to him, but he did it and he became comfortable with it and he turned out to be a drunk yeah. and, and he's living off the streets and he's fine with it yeah. because he can come home but he don't want to because he's stubborn. He fell yeah. out with his father. He mad at his dad. He's a Leo, so he's he's just <laughs> like, I would rather be out on the streets than to be deal with that. And yeah. he li- he's lived the life on the streets between some years. Wow. Teeth all out, he look bad it's, you know, it's yeah. just it's just ridiculous. Wow. And I have was trying to help raise him when he was a young kid, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh it's the choice is also the will. God gives yeah. everybody free will. Yeah. And but, and, and and it's just something that's part of it. And actually, it's not only here, it's around the world. Oh, it is. You yeah. And I know it's, it's,
0: it's yeah. getting worse. Um, I know, too, in, in, in like San Francisco. And I guess it's just getting worse throughout the country. So, you know, we, we're seeing. And, the, you know, in
1: the cold areas, they send them, they bus them to California.
0: I know. I was just going to say that the um, <laughs> California is definitely the optimum place because of the weather. And yeah, it just okay. So now I want to switch gears a little bit. I have two more questions for you. So the one of the other questions I have, is, and this is just gonna be combined. I have a couple of them but I'm gonna combine them. Basically I just wanna know as a black man, um, obviously you're a successful black man, but what are you how are you dealing with the you know, white rise of white supremacy and then also um like fit that into what you what you see happening with the country what direction we're in and what you're hearing from your friends from your clients and and all of that um, because I mean I can say I'm a white woman but the white supremacy scares the shit out of me and you know with white supremacy comes you know it's not just about racism and hatred for different skin colors it also is misogyny and it's bigotry and it's just you have to be this particular way or you you know you were wrong and um, so, you know, I'm, I just want to know, like, that, and then, you know, we've got these elections coming. How are you feeling about where we're headed?
1: Well, wow. I know, that's a, that's
0: uh, a lot to ask.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, being a black man, uh, being raised in Texas, yeah. you know, I already know how uh, how the white man can be so uh, su- suppressive to the black man. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of the black men that I saw coming up, that's why I, I love my dad so much because he was an intelligent black man and right. he didn't do the shuffle and jive every time a right. white man came around, you know, dumb it down because he's afraid that if he say something, he might mm-hmm. get whipped or he might get, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I'm, Yes, I'm master or yes, I'm, you know, yes, mm-hmm. sir. You know, <laughs> all that kind of submissive attitude that you get toward a white man. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad told me if you conquer the uh, English language and you have a brain, then you'll be able to speak to the white man, and the white man will speak back to you in the same way. Hmm. It just depends on how you handle yourself. Yeah. And uh, so he taught me uh, how to carry myself, so I really didn't have any problems until that time at Smith Barney. And it had nothing to do with who I was, they just wouldn't let me in the, in the good old boys club. Yeah. Uh, I've never had any problems. I was always able to uh, uh, go like into Beverly Hills and get me a lease to open up my own salon. And they gave me a chance Mm -hmm. as a black man, the only black man to get a chance to do this kind of stuff. And I think it's because I had a dad that was, you know, we used to call my dad a wigger, you know, a white man, (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside, because that's the world that he dealt with. He dealt with generals and stuff. You know, they did aerospace medicine, he put the monkey, First primate on the wow. moon and all that stuff. So he was all he was always the uh, one black guy accepted in the group of mm-hmm. white uh, world. Mm-hmm. So uh, and he was uh, uh, very conservative and he was a Republican, uh, the old Republican part. Right. Yeah. Now, since Donald Trump got in there and he started uh, embracing uh, uh, the white supremacy, because I, from what I hear, his father was all part yes. of the Ku Klux Klan and all yeah. that other stuff. You can't help but to have that, and right. it's also on the other end because my mom had prejudice against white people because of the stuff that she went through, right? She told me, Don't bring me no white woman home,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like, Huh? I said, Mom, <laughs> that's not right, but that stuck with me. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah. I was in my impressionable years, mm-hmm. but it wasn't right. Now, white supremacy, I think, is coming because of uh, the way the world is changing. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to hold on to yes. whatever they can that the forefathers fathers had given them, yes. which is dominance over all other races, mm-hmm. that they were s- superior. Uh, that they are smarter and God made them that way. Mm-hmm. And all these other races, especially black race, is not really human. They're more like animals. Mm-hmm. But as time went on, they saw that we are human just like they are. We fought for civil rights to get our uh, 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 rights to vote, to uh, work, to uh, live in this uh, 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 America and be free. Mm-hmm. And and then because uh, America is a uh, place where immigrants can feel free to come and live a life. There's so many immigrants here and there's also so many diversities in uh, 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 races Mm -hmm. that a lot of the uh, white world, uh, a white race is marrying into uh, other cultures. Yeah. And so they're having a whole lot of uh, mixed breeding kids, Mm -hmm. you know, biracial uh, kids. Right. And now what I've noticed that before, the basketball players used to be all dark-skinned. Mm-hmm. Now they're all fair-skinned with yeah. curly hair because <laughs> their fathers married a white woman yeah, and they yeah. had children. Yeah. So you can see the change that is going and the way it seems um, like, um, this is just, a, I'm just giving you background. My pastor, Dr. Price at Kershaw Christian have preached about this before because he had, uh, his father of faith was Kenneth Hagan. And Kenneth Hagen was this big preacher out of Oklahoma. And he was teaching, uh, uh, you know, how to walk by faith and not by sight. And he embraced Dr. Price with it and everything, and he taught him everything. But there came a problem later on when uh, Kenneth Hagen's son, uh, Junior, and his uh, wife was, they was taking, Dr. Price and his wife, Betty, was taking them to the airport. And they were talking about race, uh, uh, Race, uh you know, there's no, uh there's no, what is the scripture? Uh, there's no, it's not coming to me, you know, the devil <laughs> loves to take it out of you. But they were talking about the situation where uh, in the body of Christ, there's no, uh, Jew, you know, no Greek, no bond, no free, all are the same in the body of Christ, like a paraphraser. Right. And, so, um, and so Dr. Price asked him, if my son wanted to marry your daughter, would that be okay? And he told him no. Hmm. And he said, what do you mean? There's no bond, no, you know, what do you mean that you wouldn't allow that? He said, because we teach our parishioners to marry within their own race." Because if you want to keep the white race pure, you have to marry each other, and you can't allow anyone else to come in because it will pollute the race.
0: Wow,
1: you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's it's a it's a, a teaching that is going on in the church, a survival of the white race, because they know eventually where it's going is going to end up being more multicultural people as opposed to white. Yeah. So. And uh, Dr. Price got so upset with them, he broke the relationship with them, took his name off the building, and wrote a book about race, religion, and all that in the church and stuff, and it was a big old ordeal. But I looked at that, and I tried to rationalize it in my own sense. I said, well, it does make sense, doesn't it? If you marry outside your race, then the purity of the white race would not be there. Mm-hmm. So they are a race that's trying to survive. So I can understand that. Just like my mama told me, I don't want you marrying a white woman, marry a black woman, because she wants you to be, you know, uh, keep the black race going kind of thing, even though she's half white herself. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's all it's all kinds of stuff. But it doesn't make it right. You right. see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and in the body of Christ, it's supposed to be no separation of race and all we all want in the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. But that kind of teaching is not right to teach, but at the same time, it's your congregation. Mm-hmm. So what can you say? So on a bigger picture, I think the same concept is going on with white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And they uh, are going way back to their forefathers, you know, they're taking down the statues and all that stuff. And they feel like their legacy has been taken away from them and they have to fight to keep it. So they're willing to do what they did when they, you know, when they, uh, when the civil war came, mm-hmm. they're willing to die. And that's what happened with the whole insurrection at the uh, uh, yeah. Capitol mm-hmm. was all about them uh, trying to uh, use power and strength. Mm-hmm. And, but we're in a different time now and, and all that is it's a small group anyway, compared to the majority. Yeah. Uh, but if they get power and then, and they're able to, uh, uh, regulate the laws and voting and all that stuff, they can take us back a few years. Just yeah. like Roe versus Wade. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. but I feel in my spirit, uh, that the inevitable is the inevitable. hmm and it's just the way it's going to be because we're here we're not going anywhere and uh and we're you know starting to outnumber altogether the white race yes so uh so it only makes sense that you're gonna have opposition uh, toward it and uh uh and if and now as far as the uh midterms and everything uh, Democrats need to get out there and vote because mm-hmm. right now the right supremacists are coming in with uh, some serious uh, uh strong agendas. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and it's very scary and, and, uh, and it's not going anywhere.
0: Now, do you you have hope for the, yeah, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but do you, with, yes, we need to vote. Do you think we're going to be able to pull it off in November to save what's left of democracy?
1: Uh, I'm hoping that we'll be able to pull it off, but usually uh, if you look at how uh, things go, usually when the Democratic right. president is elected, yeah. then the uh, the House and the, uh, uh, all that changes. Right. You know, it goes the other way.
0: Yeah, but let me ask uh, you this, but let me ask you this. So, you're right. History shows us that if you have, like, a Republican in, it goes Democrat and vice versa. So now we have a Democrat in, and the fear is that it's going to go toward the Republicans. But um, aside from that, you know, you've got the striking down of Roe v. Wade, which, you know, half the country doesn't vote. And those people who are usually not paying attention to politics, there's a huge, huge portion of them right now who I think, oh... (laughs) Oh, my rights have been taken away. And that might, you know, I know that we are, um, Democrats are getting more people registering to that particular party there is, you know, there's guy I'm going to be interviewing on Thursday, Simon Rosenberg. He is a liberal strategist. I know he works at a think tank and he, what he's posting and seeing is a big uptake or uh, uptick in, you know, Democratic registrations as well as polls moving towards the Democrats. Now the one thing that we really have to be concerned about, especially for the House particularly, not gubernatorial races and not Senate races, is the fact that House can be gerrymandered. So people like Jim Jordan and um marjorie taylor Greene, it's easier for them to win those races because it is so gerrymandered but because this mm-hmm. time around just like in 2018 uh people showed up because of donald trump i think there's uh, an opportunity that we could experience a high higher rate of turnout from our own from from the democratic side because they're afraid and because they're not comfortable do you see that coming into play at all
1: I do Uh, see it's awareness and uh, what I see is that uh, usually everybody come out for the presidential uh, Mm -hmm. voting you know race Mm -hmm. and uh, when it comes to each state people don't come out. Right. But since everything is social media and mm-hmm. and the information is right in your face now mm-hmm. and everybody's aware of what's going on and also it's reached down to these high school kids and up, yeah. they're becoming yeah. more political because it's their rights that are being taken away. Yes. And they don't have the kind of old school kind of thinking right. because they was raised in times where it was uh, Obama time, you yeah. know, where everything was like uh, uh, shared amongst everyone and we're all the same, you know, love yeah. and all that. But these uh, conspiracy theorists, like Marjorie Green and all that kind of you know white power kind of thing, in these uh, uh, certain areas like the Midwest, you know, they're listening to that because they have their uh, uh, the media in which they listen to. You know, so a man here, so is he, is uh, uh, giving them all this conspiracy theory yeah. theories about what's going on and they're believing it because they're hearing it every day. Right. That's how faith is. You yep. know, faith is by hearing and hearing and hearing. So mm-hmm. if you hear all that, you start to believe in it. Yeah. But I I'm hoping that uh because what they've done now with the Supreme Court is that they took it out of the government and gave it all to the states. Right. So each state is going to be governed by the state. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have certain states that's going to be all whitewashed and then we're going to have right. some, uh, states that's going to be more liberal like California. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that can be scary too, because he's dividing the nation as yes. opposed to bringing it together. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, uh, somehow or another, that God would bring in a leader that can bring everyone together to kind of bring hope. Cause I'm, right. a, I, I, I keep hope alive. I, I believe that we should always, uh, have faith in God that he's going to do the right thing as far as the hearts of people because he put the law in the people's hearts. Mm -hmm. You're born with it. You don't have to be told with it. You just know right and wrong these days. Right. So I'm hoping that the good would outdo the bad. And uh, from what I see, it's only a small portion of the white world. That is into that because the majority of the white world is loving and giving, and they understand diversity, mm-hmm. equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. They're all into love; but they got love in their heart, and they also understand what happened back in the day with slavery—how yeah. horrible that was, and, and and that it was not right. But it was the signs of the times, yeah. And it's just how it went down. But now we have to correct history and uh uh and the majority rules when it comes to voting and everything yeah so we have to continue to be out there and let the people know that they have to vote and they have to be serious about it because if you don't they're going to change things and uh, and that's what's happening yeah right now it's crazy well in
0: a way you've kind of already a- answered my last question but i'm going to ask it anyway just in case there's anything different or you want to add what do you think we have to be hopeful about
1: we have to be hopeful that we find a medium ground where everybody can come together and make this a better place for everyone. Yeah, uh, we're dealing with a lot of immigrants still, steady trying to come in, and uh, uh, it can be scary because you know they should abide by the rules too. I'm all about the law. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, if you, uh, and you should enforce the law. If you don't like the law, then vote and change the law. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, you got to enforce the law. And uh, I think that there's hope for America. uh, But I also know that when Barack, President Obama uh, became president, I knew then that it was going to be a pendulum change Mm -hmm. when it was over with. Mm-hmm. Because him to be in the White House, period, yeah. um, angered a lot of people, yes, a lot did. of white people. Yes, it did. So therefore, because of that alone, and the forefathers would probably turned over in their grave and all that, <laughs> even though he came with a message of hope for everyone, the penalty went the other way. Right. And when I saw at the correspondence dinner, when yes. he... Uh, um, <laughs> embarrassed Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Trump looked at him like that. I was like, Oh, there's a vendetta there. He's gonna go after him. And wow. so he ran for president and everybody was born because the pendulum went the other way. Right. Because you know, we are all being influenced by spiritual uh, uh uh influences and we don't even know it. And that's something that you got to deal with in the world as well. And uh and so it went from one extreme to the other. hmm Now We have Biden, and it's supposed to kind of bring it into, you know, the pendulum into middle ground. So now we're at a place where we don't have any leaders that we think can come in and do anything. We're dealing with the same old leaders that are there, and people are living way longer. So uh, (laughs) the ideologies of uh, 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 Trump and, and the people that he's reaching is there, yeah. and it's going to continue to be there until uh, I don't know. We got to get rid of these conspiracy theorists, people, because yeah. that's some crazy stuff. It is. You know that doesn't—it doesn't even make sense.
0: <laughs> no, it makes no sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like, really?
0: But I, but I, I I agree. I mean I I do think you know I'm going to add to what you're saying and just say I I hope that the people um, recognize this moment and. I hate that sometimes it takes a very, like, either a tragedy or a really negative thing to happen for for something positive to come out of it, for the pendulum to swing in the other direction, but I do hope, like, I, I do have hope, I have cautious optimism that we're going to be able to pull this off. I don't know, I'm not, you know, don't quote me on this, because I don't know, but I feel like the fact that the right has kind of just gone insane with their messaging and they're saying all the quiet parts out loud and showing everybody, hey, this is who we really are. I hope the fact that they're doing this is waking up enough people who have not been paying attention politically. And as you said, you know, there are young people are part of the equation now. And I hope they show up to vote because as a voting block they usually don't. But, you know, they're growing up with school shootings they're growing you know growing up with a different kind of a world than you and I experienced when we were younger and so i i my hope is that all of that's what's happening right now leads us to do what's best for you know the whole country and we'll see i guess november will show us if that's going to happen i hope so but i do want to say i really enjoyed talking to you and i love i just i love your attitude you have i mean you and i have some Different ways of thinking, but then we also kind of align. And I, I just, I love listening to people's takes on life, you know, especially when they've had a life like yours that's so different, so unique. And um, I'm, I'm appreciative that you took the time to be on the show. And I just, I think you're wonderful. And if you were here, I'd give you a hug. <laughs>
1: um, I, I would hug you back. I think you a sweetheart of a person. <laughs> well,
0: before I let you go, tell everybody where they can find you. And keep in mind that on Patreon, I'm, I put up your. Um, on my Patreon page, I've got your Twitter handle. So this goes out on you know iTunes and Stitcher and all that. So for all the other links and maybe your book, just tell everybody where to find you and your whole shebang.
1: Oh yes, you can find me. I'm on uh, I'm in Beverly Hills at 9439 South Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, I'm Elgin Charles on pretty much all the social media uh, platforms like Twitter and. Facebook, Instagram, and all that. Uh, you can get my book and all my products and anything that I'm selling at ElginCharles.com. And uh, uh and you're always welcome to come and visit me at the hair salon, whether it's just to take a picture or even to come and make an appointment to get your hair done.
0: Awesome. God, if I lived in California, I would totally be there. Um, now <laughs> you can find me, author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y, on Twitter. My books are on Amazon Elgin. Thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome, and thank you for having me on your show.
0: Of course. Take care.